0: Welcome to the podcast in search of the perfect movie soundtrack. When the soundtrack needs the movie as much as the movie needs the soundtrack. I'm Joshua Weber. I'm Matt Lombardi.
1: And I'm Heather Samples.
0: Join us this week as we debate the soundtrack era. When does it begin? When does it end? Or does any of this even matter? Come in where there's music, come in where there's laughter, come in and share the warmth, spaghetti, and wine.
1: You know, I forgot what this is like. It was easy back then. No one ever had a cushier birth than we did. It's not surprising our friendship could survive that.
2: It's only out here in the world that it gets tough. You may have contracted The Big Chill.
1: I know, but I'm telling you, I
0: think I've got something good right here.
1: I haven't met that many happy people in my life. How do they act? I know you want to
2: leave me. The Big Chill is basically a movie about a bunch of baby boomers in their 30s who reunite 15 years after a college friend killed himself and spend the weekend whining together in a house. <laughs> that's. <laughs> would anyone like to add to that recap?
1: Uh, they, they also fuck in the house. A lot. And...
2: Spoiler a lot. alert. Yeah, that's how they resolve everything in the movie.
0: Except for the ones that are unable to for reasons that are a little... <laughs> <undeniable>. <laughs> and... I can't believe there's... True, the, true. Yeah,
2: there's a, <laughs> there's a very bad Hemingway, my penis broke in the war storyline <laughs> that they kind of dance around... But it is there. I thought it was a joke. When you're watching it, you think he's joking because everyone's being so right. cool and sarcastic. And then you he re- references it again, and you realize, oh, that really happened. Anyway, uh, yeah. We, we'll get but to that. what
0: really happened? Who knows? But anyway, we'll we'll get there. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I never know when it stops working. It's like you fell when on a the landmine movie on, stopped, on your it, it,
1: The movie stopped working about a minute no. in. <laughs> You mean when the pee? I'll she... I'll
2: defend the first twenty minutes. Uh,
0: I will even disagree with you there, Heather. But I think that Oof. I will probably agree with you most of the way on this one,
1: Heather. I think that the conceit of uh, old friends whose whose lives have pulled them apart come together for a wedding or a funeral is a like basically crystalline narrative structure you can't argue with if it's done even mm-hmm. you know semi well because we we can all relate to it.
2: Right. Yeah, and the movie's kind of a fantasy too. If you can just spend three days in a vacation house chilling with your friends and they're like, you know, they remove all the children, they remove everything from it, and you can just sit around the coffee table bullshitting. It is nice. That's a fun weekend. That's a nice thing to do, you know. Sit around with no responsibility talking to your old friends.
1: Can I ask a really dumb question? I I am I am sorry if this is a really stupid question, but Does the big chill just refer to death?
0: I have no idea. Does it just mean like cold body? No, no. I guarantee you. I've
2: I've heard. I I looked it up. It's the death thing, but it's also um, the big chill of this like vibrant movement that just died. What you know, obviously, obviously his death is like the death of the, the dream of whatever the 60s were, went to them. That's what his death is a metaphor for.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: And are and you sure that they... That... They never face it. Mm, no, they don't.
1: And they can't yeah. figure out about? why it died. Because <laughs> it didn't leave them a note. <laughs> 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 so
2: take good, <laughs> my face. Oh, you see my smile.
1: Oh, yeah, a bit Close the, of see
2: to the movie is filled with all these great devices in the very beginning to interest, introduce a like seven player ensemble where it's like you get a phone call, Glenn Kroos is crying. And then it cuts to everyone and you just know they got a sad phone call. But intercut is someone close up dressing a body um, for a casket, for an open casket for a funeral. And I heard it through the grapevine, obviously. And then they get there the weird speech that old guy gives in the church is really strange. When wow. He's like, Where has hope gone? <laughs> well, so I guess it's, it's, it's a Baptist terrible. church. So, but you imagine, you can imagine yourself, like if you have to see friends you haven't seen in a while and in the awkwardness of like one of these, like, you know, strange events in life. And then when they do, you can't always get what you want. You get further characterization. And then I love the packing thing when they're all unpacking different things. It's like a cute little device. And you're like, okay, great. We have, a plot, a situation, a friends, a vibe, a time frame, and then the movie just falls off a cliff.
0: Yes, it does. Pretty much.
2: It's a great setup,
0: though. I like the first thirty minutes quite a bit. Um, I felt like it was like you're seeing why Lawrence Kasdan is Lawrence Kasdan, why he's been, you know, hired to do these major major franchises you know indiana jones and star wars because he knows how to write a screenplay he understands that it's a visual medium and you have to like show things to tell the story and the first 30 minutes maybe 20 does a great job of that i'm going to show you all these things that tell that story there's no exposition glenn close is just crying and then we're in it all I would say is 20 minutes or whatever into it. I was like, man, maybe I maybe I, you know, was selling this movie a bit short because Lawrence Kasdan is selling me on this. Yeah, I was all in.
2: And then and he has then nothing for it. And then he has nothing to say. Um, OK, but why are we talking yeah. about this uh, milestone for baby boomers? This because um the because music. It's an essential artifact, if you will, a vital text in the soundtrack conversation.
1: As much as I hate to admit it, I think Matt, you're right about that.
2: Yeah, so you have to take your medicine, yeah. put up with the with the eighties yuppies yeah. and and the I I will say a movie that starts off promising. I know Heather hates every minute and then just goes wandering into oblivion and nonsense, which is kind that. of maybe it's a good metaphor for the baby boomers. Um accidentally.
1: One of the reasons why this movie is frustrating is that to watch is not just that as people born at the time, the three of us were born, we're like, oh, boomers, they're so self-indulgent and like, get over yourselves. Um, But it's also that there's not really anything at stake in this movie. And and the music is... If you take any one of these fantastic songs, there's actually more at stake in the narratives of these songs than there is in the narrative of the Big Chill itself, which which is yeah
2: that's a great which that's is a great hard point. except Good love
1: which is which is <laughs> hard to believe in some ways because they're not they're not like uh, you know scots-irish ballads that tell you like a complete like story from start to finish of, of <laughs> you know what i mean like they're no. pretty narratively they're fairly simple songs but they at least have like a an arc to them things things happen in these songs people have needs and desires and wants that are either fulfilled or right like there's there there's conflict um in these songs in a way that I, I, I remember pausing the movie about 45 minutes in to see how much more there was and how much I'd watched.
0: I did that too. And being
1: like, holy shit, I'm pretty deep in this movie and there's still nothing that I'm wondering about.
2: <laughs> All right, so there's many songs in the movie. What made it to the soundtrack are these 10 songs. I heard it through The Grapevine by Marvin Gaye, maybe the most important song in the movie, My Girl by The Temptations, Good Loving by The Rascals The Tracks of My Tears Smokey Robinson and the Miracles That's a favorite of mine, I love that song Joy to the World by Three Dog Night Ain't Too Proud to Beg The Temptations You Make Me Feel Like a Natural Woman Aretha Franklin I Second That Emotion More Smokey Robinson and the Miracles A Whiter Shade of Pale Procol Harum Based on Bach Melody A Bach Melody, do you know it? Tell him by the exciters. So it's just this really greatest hits of Motown with some rock sprinkled in. And what's amazing too is all these songs are prominently featured in many movies after this. Probably everyone.
0: Yeah. I mean I these songs are so prominently featured in my life that I kinda don't need to hear them again. I mean, I actually feel bad for saying what I'm about to say, but like I don't ever need to hear Herder Through the Grapevine again. And I can hear the incredible song that it is. I can hear that. Like I can put myself in that frame of mind and I can hear it. I can imagine, man, if it was 19, whatever year it was, 75 or something. And this came on the radio, your mind would explode. I, but, had, but a, I had a not, recent not, moment
2: with that song. Yeah. I, you can right. still hear it. And this is going to be, this is so embarrassing for me to have to say and admit, but I'm going to do it because I was running. Like Kevin Klein,
0: ho- I hope you were wearing his shorts.
2: I would love those with the it's like a two inch inseam. The shortest short. Well, they they're so short, and then they just ride. The ones high. that remind
1: you of panties. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you just made all our non Southern viewers very uncomfortable with that word, Heather. But that's another argument for another time. The regionality of the acceptance <laughs> of panties. Ugh! I just said it.
0: Whew. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, no, we're going sh- to make sure the word panties appears in every episode.
0: <laughs> Just to inform anyone who might be listening to this, that, uh, that uh, there has been an argument since the previous episode about whether panties is a dirty word or not. And apparently where you are from in the United States has, plays a big role in whether you think that it is a gross thing to say or the absolute right word which is exactly
2: <laughs> not as is. much gross or dirty as only creeps like you guys say it.
0: What's the difference in what you just <laughs> said? Okay, so go on.
2: So anyway, I, 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 I'm running. This song comes on. The California raisins disappear. The big chill disappears. And I'm just running through the streets and listening to it. And I had this moment just this before we were even going to do the podcast of just what an amazing Song, this is who so Joshua, you can hear it for the first time. I hope that I do. So you just done. have to find like a new weird play, like be an exhausted old person I've, trying to run. I've
0: had that experience then, with other songs. I've I've I, I know what that feels like. It's hard for me to I imagine mean, that I'll ever feel like it. That because
2: my candidate is my girl. That song's impossible for me to hear.
0: I, I feel the same way, but I feel the same way about that. I feel like I'm going to I'm going to say but that you, about every single song.
1: Do you feel that way about my girl because of uh Macaulay Culkin and Anna Chomsky? Because um, I do. And a million
0: other things.
2: <laughs> no, I feel like it's also like, I feel like there was like a lot of Motown music and snack cake commercials. Like, remember, like, I Can't Help Myself.
1: Cake.
0: Chocolate cake. I just love that Duncan Hines. The lighter
2: way you bake Chocolate cake. Hey, sure. Sure. And I feel like there was like a My Girl one maybe, but I just feel like it's just saturated.
0: Yes. And I I completely agree of
2: that, but like that good Lovin" um, by the rascals, there's some song and there's some songs that I can, I can always listen to ain't too proud to beg by the temptations. I think that that's always, that always makes me want to like get up.
1: I wonder if the reason why so many of these songs found their way into commercial usage is comes back to that bigger question of like how these songs make white middle class Americans feel. Um, and, and like if they offer that sense of like pleasure and comfort and security and fun um, but but just just enough like earthy sexiness that uh, it's doing more for us than, than offering like a glass of warm milk. Um, because because mm-hmm. it seems to me that like I agree with you a lot of the songs as they were coming on in the movie I was like my every five minutes ten minutes in the, watching the movie I would think is are there any others left like are they gonna hit every single one of these like yeah. iconic works of American song and it turns out they they get like almost all of them um as you pointed yeah. out Matt not always on the first round of the soundtrack but watching the movie you have this experience of like jesus christ right. we're just going to go we're going to get them all we're going to get like now that's yeah. what i call motown from track 1 all the <laughs> way through right
2: yep but i i think the fun of watching this or listening to it is trying to imagine a time where this was a new fresh idea
0: it is hard to imagine
2: because apper- apparently like people would use sound alikes or fake songs. Like remember yeah, yeah. when people use like fake cereal boxes and yeah, stuff? Yeah. If you were making something, you would use like re like re-recording something that sounds like a hippie song. And then everyone just started to do it. You know, just like we just started to reference everything too. You know, like in movies there was no fake candy anymore. People would just have real candy or I feel like Seinfeld was really into that. I might be going off way off on a tangent. But it's just impossible for me to wrap my head around being like, whoa, ain't too proud to beg by the temptations. Never thought of putting that in a movie. Never thought of putting that on the radio and dancing around again. But I guess they got stale at some
1: point.
0: I don't know if if this if this applies right here, but this is the number five selling Motown record of all time.
1: This country is (laughs) such a racist piece of
0: shit. It's incredible. It's incredible.
2: For Motown. That's that's amazing. Motown.
0: Motown. Yeah.
2: Well, it's also it also to to go on that, it also saved Motown records, which was bleeding money and losing money in the 80s because they had like. They like lost Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross to the record labels. And this music just wasn't cool at the time. Everyone, I guess, was tired of it. And then 1983, this comes out, surpasses the popularity of the movie, which gets mixed reviews. Some people like it. Some people don't. But it becomes this juggernaut of a um, soundtrack. And it goes by the 90s. It goes six times platinum. I I found the presses it passes Saturday Night Fever to become the longest charting contemporary soundtrack in history at the time 161 weeks on the charts
0: oh oh that blows my mind
2: and the only two soundtracks in the mid 80s this is before I guess Dirty Dancing and some late ones but in 1985 the only two soundtracks that outsold it were Purple Rain of course which isn't a compilation soundtrack really it's more of an album and the other one strangely is Beverly Hills Cup because it was the only place you can get. <laughs> a quick aside of the popularity of that Beverly Hills Cop song, a memory that just came to me. After school one day, I was in my house, and upstairs my younger brother yells down, pick up the phone. So I pick up the phone, and on the keypad, he's figured out how to play,
0: poop boop, 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 boop,
2: boop. And I thought that was really cool.
0: That is cool. Anyway, that
2: song is embedded in our consciousness.
0: That's wild because one time my sister told me to pick up the phone and I picked it up and she played Jeremiah Was a Bullfrog.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't believe that. She was probably playing it off the Forest Gump soundtrack. We'll get to that as well. Okay, so a little more about the big chill and then I'm going to pose a very exciting question to you guys. Apparently, this was so big that advertisers... Jumped in on it and like Lincoln Mercury all of a sudden was doing Motown. The California raisins do hurt it through the grapevine. Um, but then it brings it literally brings Motown records back. And then the famous Barry Gordy sells it for 61 million dollars. Thanks to Lawrence Kasdan. Anyway, so with all this. success, wait, wait, wait. Are
0: you going to explain that? I don't know what the, I don't know what you're talking about.
2: So Motown records, as I was saying before, is bleeding money in the 80s. Not doing well. They lost a lot of artists and this soundtrack brings back so many of these songs and everyone wants Motown commercials, TV movies. It's nostalgia time. It hit that 15 year mark. I guess it was the right time that he just starts making money with the new power, popularity of reissuing songs and compilations. Motown records itself issues like four or five compilations that are called like sounds like the big chill Motown hits and like <laughs> doing that. And then MCA ends up buying them because they're profitable again for $61 million, which I guess back then was a decent amount of money for a failing old record company.
1: Jesus, this yeah. movie and, is such a metaphor for what unbelievable oh, yeah. like, oh. vultures, white baby boomers were.
0: Totally. <laughs> totally. And I feel like the movie thinks that it's self-critical about that. Yes, But it's
1: What it's self-critical about is the same thing that that those people are, that that demographic has pretty traditionally been pretty self-aware and self-critical about, which is like, are we sellouts? And what does it mean to be a sellout? And is it okay to be a sellout? And how much selling out did we do for our families and for our duty and blah, 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 blah.
0: Totally blah, 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 blah. Because in doing that, they also self aggrandized Oh my guys. God, so the much. The role they played, <laughs> unbelievable. Yes. They literally call themselves revolutionaries. Yes.
2: Yeah, and they they reference Huey and Bobby.
0: Oh, and I just wanted like the black band eat Panthers. a gun. I'm just like, are you <laughs> kidding me? You guys were at the University of Michigan <laughs> and hugging beers. Well,
1: I think it's actually very interesting. Like to me, it's a little bit telling that the characters talk about their their like revolutionary status but we actually get no more specific about nope. what nope. they were actually like they might have nope. they might have been doing civil rights work they might have been doing sure. anti-war work they, You're they might, of might of have going been
0: going to some marches yes.
2: they were they, at the were march part in washington
0: of the were you part of the weather underground yeah, like, What were you I doing? Say. Like, you know what'd you do
2: Remember when you blew your finger off building that bomb when we were going to kill a bunch of cops? Yeah. Why not?
0: Instead of a guy got his penis hurt in Vietnam, why not make him actually a revolutionary who did something? I don't know. The extent is they
2: went to March on Washington. I think someone says at some point they went to some protests.
0: Okay. Well, I mean, good for you.
2: (laughs) Also, when confronted with the money they make, Kevin Klein's answer at one point, he says... Fuck them if they can't take a joke. And I was like, maybe that's the mantra of the baby boomers. If you just say, fuck it, I'm just joking. And you're like, wait, are you or are you not? And then you get stuck in that space and they're like, well, guess I win. Bye.
0: The movie is doing a lot of that, uh, covering its ass by saying, well, I'm kind of aware that we're sellouts. But the fact that I'm aware allows me to be a sellout.
1: If these are the people. In this movie, who are making this audience want to buy this album in droves, in a way that may, maybe hadn't happened before, and at the very least was like a pretty big fucking deal. Why is that? Like, what what did these people need from this music? Like, what did this music give them that they needed? I think maybe one part of it is that this music, ha- like to that audience, maybe felt both really comforting and also just edgy enough and and mm. and that and mm-hmm. that it had this like sense of of um i mean it's fun music right it's like it's a dance it's dance while you For clean sure. up the kitchen yeah. after the party music i mean it's called, mo it's, it's Motown it's, too it's,
2: it's one of the best genres yeah, of music it's like we have. it's
1: undeniably pleasurable to experience this music the... and then to have that with just just it's just just barely cool and and like not expected enough that it makes these characters feel like they're discovering something which brings us right back to god you fucking white vultures discovering (laughs) mode
0: totally (laughs) these are the biggest songs on the radio these are massive hits they're not digging into anything they are responding to what the radio is giving them and i'm talking about their their college selves the right, ones you're referencing right. they feel edgy yeah. they feel like they're figuring something out because they've never had a conversation with a black woman before yep. so aretha franklin comes on their radio and they feel like oh my god she's moving totally. me totally this this is important yeah right
2: and they're like and do you know Carol King really wrote it that's what the <laughs> and then
1: and then all that that's happening for the characters happens all over again in real life for the real life audiences that went out and bought this album it's it's a little yes. spooky you totally. guys like it, it's a little scary what what these people were up to <laughs>
2: My big music question then, we'll get this out of the way first. For compilation style soundtracks, does this kick off the big soundtrack era? And if it's the beginning, which that's what I'm going to argue, when does this era peak and when does it die? Because between tapes and CDs, we lived in this kind of compilation recorded music mecca, making mixtapes and buying soundtracks. Is this the beginning of it when people realize the power of compilation, nostalgia, that kind of stuff?
1: I feel like when you ask a question like, is this the moment when like the egg was fertilized and things started exploding It like the only way to answer that question with that kind of question with intellectual honesty is to look at everything that came before and convince yourself that that none of those things were it, and I don't I don't think that I like feel totally confident I can do that. But what I do feel confident I can do is is like ask a slightly different question, which is if that let's assume that this was the beginning. If so, why these songs for this audience in this moment? Like, what was it about this soundtrack that caused what may or may not have been the very beginning, but was definitely like a seminal early moment that that made
2: six times platinum? Yeah,
1: that made this thing like what it was Um and that question is one that I've been mulling over since you made me watch this godforsaken <laughs> movie, and and I, I I think I think like part part of it is is about uh, the fact that the people that the characters that are in the movie who are like very clearly supposed to be proxies for the target audience, right? Like. W- Mm-hmm. oh right yeah. they, they're us very right? clearly they're, they're, like the people who were watching this movie in its contemporaneous moment were being reflected right back at themselves from the screen right it's like
2: but better looking and more ambitious 80s hair i feel like you're closer to my my historic my historian quest and why we're doing this than you think heather
1: i, I trust and that because I, I
2: think the next step the next step is how how does that peak die off or how does it still exist in different ways do playlists have the same amount of meaning and i think then it comes down to like a technology issue kind of thing
0: i mean clearly the fact that that um technology and the radio was playing what it was at the time and was where it was at the time plays a huge role in what's happening and the, the fact
2: era. you can get a tape record shit Reorder it. That's what I'm talking about. And you can just move stuff around and do it. But it's static enough that it's special. That a mixtape is one of a kind, right? That's why people would save them. And you draw on them and put pictures of them. Yeah, I mean, now you can make a playlist and someone you can give it to like three different boys you like, Heather, and then see which one comes back. That's
1: true, but and and also the playlist has no material culture associated with it, right? Like that's yes. So exactly, and that and that's like that's the
2: technology part. That's a
1: huge, huge difference. Um, that I think is huge, is, is really significant. And yet at the same time, like the movie soundtracks don't have any material culture associated with them other than the physicality of the recording, right? Like the sleeve, the the cover art, the sleeve, like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But, but they're not, they're not, uh, they don't have like the human hand associated with them that when we were making our mixtapes, we we were offering, Mm -hmm. right? Um, and that yeah. that didn't stop any of the movie soundtracks from being like incredibly transformative for people who who listened to them and experienced them. So I don't think we should think like get so to, simple uh, as you know the the medium of the technology makes makes the playlist less significant because it's not that much different than the soundtracks.
0: I think that I don't know. To, I don't know if that's uh, true though. I think you're getting to a an interesting dividing or ways of like two different ways of reading this, which is one, um, the audience who enjoyed the mixtape. Like were excited to be like, I love these songs. I haven't heard this one in five years, which as an aside, I can't imagine not having heard any of these songs in five years, but that's <laughs> true. At, somebody, yeah. at some point somebody had, and that must've been very exciting. The other side of it, which you're kind of referencing here is the creator side. And the creator side is like, just these dudes yeah. mining this thing, yeah. which hey, but coincidentally, well, I my question was as I was listening is how could they afford all this music? Yeah, I thought that oh, too. Well, the, oh
1: well, and then the answer the next is second. Motown
2: had no money yeah, exactly, and it wasn't <laughs> right. in demand.
0: Yeah, so okay, that makes a they, lot. More they sense. got in so, just so before it blew up. They could afford right. it the so same way that the for
1: plantation and yep. Beaufort could afford the labor.
0: All right. Yes. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't (laughs) have gone that far, but, but okay. Um, Yes. I do think that it is the creators are making a thing that feels partially because of the movie too. It feels exploitative. Like the movie just uses this music. It just uses it and uses it and I mean, isn't it interesting that the one song that I personally felt like was like actually earned in the movie was the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And and I mean, that's, and you know, coincidence. Th- maybe, no, it's but, not
1: because it, because it happened to me, too. But it happened with the weight. The one moment in the movie yeah. when oh, I
2: forgot that's in there, too. Yeah, I, the one not in the soundtrack, No, not though. in the soundtrack.
1: Yeah. But the one moment in the movie where I was like, OK, I can do this. I can be here for this. Was when the weight came on, and
2: I pulled into Nazareth.
1: Was feeling about past past <laughs> dead. Um, I, and I th- and I think part of the reason why is the same reason that Joshua was like, "Yeah, I'm feeling this this stones thing on the church organ," and then into the song itself. Like, those are the only two songs that the people on that screen feel like they have any connect like believable connection to an authentic relationship to that music and those between for those characters i can believe it
2: that's a good way to put it that's i think that's a, a good way to put it um can we please go back and try to map heather's a little resistant to it map the landscape of soundtracks i'm really excited about this
0: so here's i i'm a little resistant to it As well, to be honest, this is a soundtrack
2: podcast. We uh, we need some kind of thesis or argument or absolutely. I agree. And
0: and I feel like our job, our job is (laughs) going to our job is going to be in part amongst other things to answer this question that you're asking right now. But I feel like you're asking a question that we are not ready to answer. Uh,
2: Let me pose it again. (laughs) So one episode, one episode will be ready just so people remember what we're talking about it's basically what is the, the soundtrack era for compilation soundtracks. We're not talking about musical scores on this show. Really? I'm less, we'll do some, but I'm less interested in like soundtracks that kind of become albums, like by the Bee Gees or Prince. We'll do ones like that, but specifically this compilation one, because I think it's so in tandem with the mixtape. And I believe there's an arc through the eighties and nineties, and then it fizzles out and no one cares.
0: Well, to your point, I do think that it is. No one wants to answer that. No, I, I'm going to answer it to a certain degree by saying that I think that the fact that it they released a 15-year anniversary edition, which would be 1997, and I think is two or three years after Forrest Gump, 15 years, like, why are you celebrating 15? You celebrate 10, you celebrate 20, you celebrate it's 25. It's because that's the hotspot when they were saying Right. So I think that that does speak to the fact that they knew that, like, oh, this this is hitting again. Like this is the time, like it's 1997. People are ready for this again. This
2: was my, I was going to say the peak was the mid nineties.
1: Let me ask you a a related question, Matt. If you had, if you had done all of the like historical cartography that you're interested in, and and you <laughs> have,
2: I have I'm a soundtrack anthropologist.
1: And you had all of it laid out, and you felt like we'd we'd all like we'd gone on this journey with you, and we'd looked at enough movies and we'd done enough work to really figure out when this cultural moment of the compilation soundtrack hit, when it peaked, mm-hmm. what caused it to come down. What what do you believe? And this is like I, I, I'm not judging your desire for this understanding i just want to make sure that we're like that we get what you're after which is like if you had that what do you think that that would enable you to understand or know that you couldn't otherwise know or understand like what does it unlock for you
0: you're definitely judging me (laughs) that's a great question i think it speaks to the reason we're doing this i don't
1: think
2: it's a personal question journey i think Setting these kind of uh, parameters and just being a soundtrack historian is a service you owe an audience, I think. I mean, it's kind of like saying, why do people write history books? Mm. Is what you're asking.
1: No, I'm not asking that. Like,
0: yeah, what's yeah the difference I feel like if you you're write, just, it's you're the just, history of the soundtrack
2: no, that's the not the history not of a, um,
1: Matt, babe. I am really war. sorry to break it to you, but this is not service <laughs> journalism. We 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 are we are not uh, we are not going to be able to to like tell the entire story of this genre. But what we
2: I don't like your use of we there.
1: <laughs> but what
2: because I I think I I'm here for our listeners who want the the hard history
1: <laughs> of it. But the thing is that like we don't actually need the the like the annals of the compilation soundtrack in order to do the thing that i think is actually the most important which is to look at this thing this moment this genre this very weird thing mm-hmm. that happened and figure out by looking at it like something bigger about why, because it's a strange phenomenon. Like it's, it's like Robert Stack introducing tonight's episode of unsolved no, mysteries of, level weirdness it. that this became this. I should have thing. never
2: tipped you off about, I give you too much time to think about this. I should have caught you on your heels so then I can just steam through with my, I, I want, I'm headed to where you're going too about this whole phenomenon. I have theories about that. Through my through my study in cartography of soundtracks, this is what I came up with.
1: Yeah, give me a hypothesis.
2: When Edison invented the <laughs> but it is it does have to do. I'm half joking. It does have to do with the age of recorded sound, because what's exciting to me about soundtracks, and what happened for a moment because I think there's the te- the accessibility of the technology lined up correctly, is the reason soundtracks work is because they're usually attached to a narrative and when that's successful, it works into like train spotting the music. You think of the movie, the movie, you think of the music they're working together and they're, they're a narrative is created. Um, and that's always, that's always a way to kind of embed somebody in something, tell a story. But then we were able ourselves to make mixtapes and mixtapes also cannot escape a narrative. And here's the recorded music part. Not
1: if you do them well anyway.
0: Right. Yeah, a lot of people's mixtapes <sighs> have I no know. narrative I think, whatsoever.
2: I think mixtapes are usually personal. They're for friends or someone you have a crush on. Sure. And that's that's always the implicit narrative there in your life. Like when you play it or that person plays it, there's an implicit narrative there that you can't escape. Really, sure. Which is I'm just how, saying some movies, people are better movies at crafting that
1: narrative than others.
2: Yes, that's true. Yes. But since it's the age of recorded music, it's not just the music that exists when you play it, you're capturing a moment in time. So then the exciting thing when you're young and you're making a mixtape is you're also capturing a moment in time. You're recapturing another moment in time and then it becomes part of your narrative. Is that too insane?
1: Matt, given your hypothesis about the relationship between-
2: Re-recording recorded music to create a moment in time that creates a narrative? Yeah. That's, the, that's the secret. Yeah, that
1: one. You know, that makes me think that- that I,
2: I'm brilliant? Well,
1: no. Uh, but it, it, it does, it does uh, it do, I do have something to, like, a corollary maybe, which is, like, did these movies and their soundtracks teach us how to make mixtapes?
2: This is and, yes. This is uh, this and, is something I ask myself too. And if they specifically did Lawrence Kasdan and The Big Chill teaches that.
1: Well, thank God I didn't see The Big Chill <laughs> until this week, so I I didn't I didn't get that bad uh, that bad learning. You got the afterglow. But 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 I got the Pretty in Pink education, which was which was right. I think like not dissimilar in that like what we saw in our episode about Pretty in Pink is that like the cultural project of pulling these musicians together in one place, like amplified all of their power to, to like move the listener. Um, And that really, I think like, now that you're bringing up the relationship between our own personal soundtracks, which are, are the mixtapes that we have made in our lives. um, Like I can see how I'm, I made mixtapes, with that goal in mind to like coalesce and tighten a moment and a feeling and a set of feelings and then hand mm-hmm. them over to a boy in a invariably so that he could understand mm-hmm. how I felt or how I wanted him to feel. Whereas like with the big chill, it, it's, it's like, there's, there's it's such a boomer move, right? Because it's got like emotion at a slight rem- at like arms length because it's like borrowing somebody else's emotion to to like have those feelings. I don't know, maybe I'm being an asshole. Maybe they're not quite as bad as that the whole generation. But but I think that like what what movies you watched um as a, as a kid and as a teenager that taught you perhaps how to make a mixtape and how those soundtracks were functioning is, is maybe something we should put on our to-do list of like in this archaeology and excavation that we're doing is to figure out like which times were we actually being instructed in an artistic oh, practice right. of curation and how do we understand right. what that curation can and can't do and which versions of it were appealing or are still appealing now and which aren't. And I would say for me, like one thing I've learned after only a couple of movies is it is not appealing to me when it feels like you're mining another community's work and pulling it toward yourself and saying this is mine now too. Whereas like when, when you're pulling up from your own milieu and then celebrating it for others, that feels a lot better to me.
0: I think you just helped me choose what the next soundtrack is going to be. So oh,
1: good. You. So there was at least one person who benefited from that. <laughs> to come to come back to what you were saying about, you know, Joshua, about like, I don't know if I can ever hear, uh, heard it through the grapevine with the same kind of fresh ears that I, I could at one time. Do, do either of you feel like there was any moment in the movie where the song... What was coming closer to that for you, where you were starting to hear the song in a as, as though you haven't heard it a trillion times before, or or every single or was it all like grapevine over and over and over?
0: Uh, the closest I could say is probably the Rolling Stones song, but I think that I'm uniting that to the fact that I think that at that point in the movie, which I actually am going to side with Matt on, at that point in the movie I was pleasantly surprised that i was watching a pretty good movie i didn't expect to be and i shortly would find out that i wasn't <laughs> but <laughs> at that point i was like this is pretty good and the song felt appropriate i mean it's an overplayed song add this to the list of songs i never need but to it's hear the character's next.
2: favorite song it's which is of a weird flex to the pick your favorite church song.
1: organ i feel like that's but that's i think yeah, that was ironic at
2: the case. time everyone
0: Right, no, it's nice, but then they, but then then they go into the real song, Uh and then, and I, and I, I enjoyed it. You're right, Matt. That a lot of the reviewers liked this movie, but.
2: It's mixed, though. So, Roger Ebert it, said it didn't it is, go anywhere. Well, I've, I've got the
0: Ebert one right in front of me. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, of course I, Because do.
2: So do I. It's right? Great.
0: <laughs> because it is great. Um, a lot of people liked it. A lot of people liked it a lot. But you're right. It's like considering it's such a, like, tentpole movie, it's a movie I've been hearing about my whole life. When I actually went and read the reviews, it's like, it's not like it was, like, you know, a universally, like, this is an incredible movie, you know, Chariots There's of Fire There's a lot or of meh
2: reviews. There's a lot of...
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, and and one of the things Ebert said, and I'm probably this is going to be like one of four things that I'm going to quote from Ebert, but I will say that one of the things he said is at the end, of course, nothing is really discovered, nothing is really really settled, and they go back into holding patterns until the next funeral.
1: Oh my God, spot That's on! That's
0: great. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, he Roger you nailed right it. The <laughs> These people could all be wearing warm up jackets with poignancy stenciled on their backs.
1: Whoa! Get out the burn cream.
0: He's good. And the moment he saw it, the moment he saw it, he saw through the whole goddamn thing. Everybody else got sold by the Aretha Franklin and the Wilson Pickett. And they Did got excited by Did he make the soundtrack comment? Um, I don't, Be- I don't, I'd have to look at it again because... more closely. But well, all I'm saying is that, like, he's that exact same age. He is their peers. And he saw right through it. He's like, this is simple shit. Like, he's you guys also are not the guy
2: who they didn't hang out with. And no one would sleep with that weekend. That's also Rogers.
1: Maybe (laughs) the takeaway about Ebert having nailed it there is not just that he's a great movie reviewer and you can trust He misses
2: a lot. He's not that he misses a lot. I'm just saying I think like I
1: think the thing that's like most useful about what he has to say there is like a reminder that the way that the three of us react to these characters isn't just a product of them being representative of our parents generation That's that a good point. that like even in the in the contemporary mo- like even if you are as you know like close to it as right. as you could possibly be you can still immediately see it and be like fuck yep. these idiots
0: I think that one of the characters that that let me into the bullshit of the narrative is that the idea that Jeff Goldblum is going to go write the novel of this weekend <laughs> so
1: bad. But then he gets,
0: and it's he, like, he gets
1: the dig of, "Well, what were you going to write about before this weekend?" And, and
0: right last yeah. weekend, which actually is not a pretty decent. It line. is, but it's I, another. I, 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 I right. like that. It is right. a good
1: line, but it's another example of yeah. of like what both of you were just saying about you know kind of cutting out the moment when something actually is raised with, with some stakes or with some actual challenge right. That's at its a good heart. Point. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right?
0: Yeah. But I feel like it's, it's a placeholder there for Lawrence Kasdan to be like, yes, I had an experience similar to this or whatever it is. I mean, he did go to university of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I don't know. I did watch an interview with him. I couldn't tell how closely this was autobiographical, but he did claim it's autobiographical and yeah, it's just like yeah, this is a, a an emotion you felt, and this is a thing you felt. But this is a short story. This is not a movie. This is a thing that happened to you. This is maybe an email you should send to but your friends. You should fast take forward in time. As, this to the was a short story
2: movie. I feel like he'd take that as a compliment because he made yeah. Big feature but that's films. the thing.
0: He would take any criticism we said as a as an opportunity to say yes. The movie already dealt with that. The movie already made that criticism. The movie already was self-effacing about that. And it just feels false over and over and over again because it feels ultimately like the movie is extremely proud of the choices that people well, made. It's very proud of the people they are. And it's proud of the fact that they can all play this Aretha Franklin song and dance around and make dinner together. And it's together. saying, oh, and what it's are you
2: like, going to do? We're friends, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Someone should say he probably killed himself because we're horrible friends and people. Yeah. That would have been great. That would have been great. That <laughs> would have like, actually, the Chloe like, character could have like said, she just says, you guys like talking about the past a lot, huh? You know, and she's kind of just like out there in the foil, but she could have like, I feel like in another movie, someone would have had her dig into them a little. Like a movie that out.
0: cared about the second or third act. Yes, probably. <laughs> but yeah. this movie did not. It was a, a strong first act, but then the the second and third act just rely on songs to do all the work.
2: Yeah. So here the, here's the, a... the songs
0: are good, but you know, they, they didn't do the work for me. They didn't make me care about the characters. In fact, I couldn't I cared about the characters even less every second I had to spend with them.
2: I also was having a hard time picturing a lot of them like at shows or concerts.
1: Actually, let's back up for a second. What what you just said, Joshua, I think is really important. You are, I think, suggesting that no matter how great the songs are as songs, that they can't actually stand in for story and characterization that matters to us, even when they are some of the best songs that were written in the United States for the duration of its existence. And so, what's are, an
2: example sure. of that working?
0: Then, I mean, I think definitely you could point to, and I, I'm I don't know, but I I'm positive you could point to great introductions of characters set to songs. I guarantee you, there's tons of examples. Of, if we thought about it a little bit more, we could be like, oh yeah, remember when this person walks out for the first time in that song, and it's so exciting. But um, doing
2: "Natural Woman" by Aretha Franklin justice with a film is a tall order.
0: Blues that Brothers seemed, did it? Well, that's well, a, maybe actually, they didn't do it that's with a natural great women, but I don't know if, if they it did it with that, but it was did, Think yeah. in the diner. You know what? Yeah. I love that's that. A sequence. Great, that's a great. That's really good sequence. This is actually you nailed a really good counter look at using black music in a movie that is completely made and populated by white people. White boomers. I'm a white person. Maybe I'm not maybe I'm wrong on this. But it seems to me that Blues Brothers does a significantly better. Oh, yeah.
1: not even comparable. But the shtick, that was also the
2: shtick. Like they were addressing it. Blues Brothers was definitely addressing white dudes obsessed with black (laughs) music and making fun of it. But also, you didn't mind them loving it, even though they're oblivious at times. But then they run a bunch of Nazis off a bridge. So you're like. That's
0: cool. It's not just that they let they let they let the music speak for itself. They let the people perform, which whatever. And Obviously, they also
2: hang out with tons are, of black people in that movie. There's right. actually a lot yeah, of black people.
0: Yeah, and they let and they let them perform the whole thing. Yeah. To your point about hanging out with black people just for fun, I like went on an IMDb dig about this movie, and I was like, I'm curious if there was any person of color that worked on this movie. Well, now. I have no evidence uh-huh. because all, on IMDb, a lot of people that work there don't have photos, and that's kind of what I have to go on. But I will say that, based on every picture I saw, and you know, if we're going to go by names, which you know is a little bit problematic, but let's do that a little bit. You know, there's certain names that you see that doesn't sound like a black guy. You know, yeah, you know.
2: Lawrence Kasdan, Lawrence Fishburn.
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right, yeah, good point. But I highly suspect. You took a picture of the people in the soundtrack and you took a picture of these people that made this movie, they would be very starkly different pictures. Mm-hmm. And the movie does not give a shit about that. Yeah.
2: This is a that's, installation That's art actually
1: piece, ultimately know. the point. The movie doesn't give a shit about that. And, yeah. and, like,
2: the movie doesn't even consider you'd think it in
0: 1983. Nope. nope. Doesn't At even any point, him.
2: even though these people are patting themselves on the back for being part of the civil rights movement. <laughs> Which is crazy. What did
0: they do? They went to in, in University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I'll tell you what they, they did. Went to a, I'll tell you they what they did. They went to a did. Grateful Dead show. This is
2: terrible. They think they listened to this music and liked it. And that was their contribution, which is I horrible. think you're right. But I think that's what people pat themselves. They're like, some of yeah. my best records are black.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I didn't know just what was wrong with me.
2: Here's an here's a question I was thinking about. In nineteen eighty four, The Breakfast Club comes out. Yeah, buddy. which to me is a very, very, very similar movie where it's a bunch of people stuck in one place talking about shit. And it has music define it at times. And it has a fun dance sequence. It does. That's really silly. It does. But we're talking about
1: And Ali Sheedy high school plays a character.
2: Yeah. But we're talking about high school kids at the mercy of adults, not actual adults, which is why I suspect they're more sympathetic. But even the posters is the white background with the characters. I think um, who was the famous photographer that did the Breakfast Club thing? I think it was Andy Lebowitz took that picture.
0: Of course it was. She took um, every picture for 40 the, years. Um, <laughs> the,
2: the big the- – <laughs> The big, the big chill looks like a bad knockoff of that, even though it was before. So it's these like character-driven, stuck in a room things. Why is The Breakfast Club beloved, and or is this a generational question? Oh, this is what, such what, a great. What would great the question. rumors tell you?
0: It is, and to draw the line, just and Heather, you're going to go on right after this. But like, just to draw this line a little bit more, my wife Kelsey, who is not a movie buff at all, I mean, barely watches any of the movies I watch I uh, basically watches these movies because I'm like, Hey, please do this with me tonight brought up the fact that the big chill was like the breakfast. Club.
1: Oh, interesting. Nice. Did she, was yeah. she shocking? Was she saying the same things that Matt was saying about what, where she saw yeah, that basically
0: mm-hmm. like, this is like a, you know, a bunch of people who are experiencing a moment in this certain way. And the music is playing a big role. Uh-huh. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, Here's here's what I think. I think Matt, you are absolutely right that in one case we have adolescents who are still
2: (laughs) finally who
1: are still like developing their identities, figuring out what they who they are and who they want to be, and that's made very explicit in the Breakfast Club. Right, like they even have labels for themselves that uh, get put into the letter to the principal at the end, Um, but. Beyond that, I think another like, big, big difference is that in The Big Chill they are uh, absolving themselves of some kind of guilt. It's either yes. the guilt of Alex having uh, died and them not having done enough to stop that or prevent it, or it's the guilt of being sellouts. Um, or it's the guilt of having abandoned each other um, for whatever this interval yeah, of years has been. Yeah. Where
2: I agree. That's all connected.
1: Whereas in The Breakfast Club, no one is working to like cleanse themselves of any uh, sense of like overhanging wrongdoing or shame. They are instead just trying to discover what they want to do next and who they want to be. Well, Emilio Azcárraga
2: is ashamed.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, no, they're they're complex. He's got the
2: whole shame thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah with they're the complex characters. Affected. But what
1: I'm saying is that they're that they're they're not solely motivated by yes. trying to figure out what they've done wrong. Um, instead, they're motivated by what they want to do next. And, it, and it's that difference between, like, looking, the characters being primarily looking backward or gazing forward that I think makes one much more sympathetic and interesting than the other. And then thirdly, I'll say yeah. I grant that all of that could be bullshit and I could just be totally biased by the fact that <laughs> one is about the worst people who ever lived and the other is about <laughs> people I, I identify with.
0: That's, the- you know, it's possible that somebody's <laughs> gonna do this podcast in thirty years, and they're gonna watch The Breakfast Club and be like, "What the hell is wrong with you people?" I mean, yeah, it could be. And a taste of blood is-
2: Okay, so that brings us to our final question. We always end on I think I know the answer to this. What is better, the soundtrack, the movie, or do they need each other?
1: (laughs) Can you imagine? You you can say
2: the whole is. Can you imagine if if this music
1: needed this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, I think you're right, Matt, that we do know the answer. And I'm starting to wonder, like, Will we always know the answer by the time we get to the end? Because that's actually one of the things we're we're working through. That's a great,
0: great question. I
1: think, I think we, we might, we might, uh, so far we have tended to, to see the soundtrack as decidedly better than the movie. I can think of some
2: examples. But I think
1: that either way, whichever way we land on a given, on a given movie, I think we're going to find that. Yeah. After talking to each other, we, we've, We've pretty, pretty well parsed which of the two uh, mediums we think is like really carrying the day.
2: Yeah, it's obviously the soundtrack. What interests me is the soundtrack can carry a movie. A movie can sometimes up the soundtrack. Is there the elusive perfect combo? Yes, there the will movie be and the soundtrack. We're on the hunt each for other it. equally.
0: We will find it. Yeah, maybe we will. Maybe find that's
2: it. that's one of our quests.
0: We will find it. I will say about the question of is which is better. I mean, come on. Obviously, the soundtrack is better. Duh. But I will say this. I would not have listened to the soundtrack yesterday, but I did watch the movie yesterday. I don't need to hear these songs again. I know these songs really well. And if I didn't search them out, I would hear them tomorrow anyway. Yeah. I have no interest in these songs they're 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 the greatest songs ever recorded no one's denying that they're incredible they're perfect every once in a while when i was listening to them there was notes in the production or notes that happened that i was like oh my god if we could ever do this again we'd be a better species <laughs> that said that said i didn't seek it out i wasn't trying to hear it again but i did want to see the movie because you know you forced us but also like i've heard about this movie forever so um, I here's, obviously the soundtrack is better, but I will say that um, I listened to the soundtrack specifically because of the movie, for what it's worth.
2: I put the soundtrack on when I was cooking dinner, and did you have your Emily girlfriend over to help you? Yes, they were, and they were like, "Matt, we'll do that. What are you doing? Go <laughs> play football with the boys. Go sleep with someone." Oh, that football um, scene! Oh god, we didn't even get to that. um but I had it on and then Emily came home with my daughter and I was making dinner and there was a nice vibe in the kitchen and it's fun to play music for your kid who hasn't heard like she's five now and she can remember music and it gets stuck in her head and she'll ask me to play it again. And it's funny to see what sticks and what doesn't. And she was just grooving along and really into it. Are I you going like, to show her the... That was nice. Are you going
1: to show her the raisins?
2: No, I showed her the movie though. No, I'm
0: just- <laughs> <laughs> My... Uh, when I was a little kid, there's my, a
2: novel book I re- of it, a novelization of it. I read to her <laughs> at night before bed.
0: My youngest sister's favorite first, her first favorite band was the California Raisins.
1: She was not alone in that. I'm sure she had. A, Cal-
0: she had a poster on her wall. Yeah,
1: people. And if you loved them.
0: if you asked her today what was your first favorite band before, <laughs> she would say, "Do you mean New Kids on the Block?" And would say, "No, before that." And she'd say, "Oh, this is the California Raisins."
2: <laughs> and do you know they had four albums? It was such a sensation. They released four actual albums of them covering Motown songs. The raisin industry was never the same. (laughs) My final thought is, uh, as I said in the beginning, the big trail seems like a necessary um, text in the conversation of soundtracks um, with a huge influence on soundtracks, which is why, despite Heather's pain of sitting through this movie, I feel like was a necessary conversation and always fun to take pot shots of baby boomers. Now it's Joshua's turn to tell us what we will be discussing in our next episode.
0: So after watching the big show, I debated this a lot the last 24 hours or so, because part of me thought like, you know what I should, I should, I had a plan. And then I thought I should abandon that and pick a really good movie. And I was like, wouldn't it be fun if we had to watch a good movie? That'd yeah. be great, right? We've been dabbling yeah. in light stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> because the conversation what tonight touched on too many things. And some of them are, we've been talking about iconic soundtracks in the sense of soundtracks that like weigh a lot, that matter a lot, that are important. We also touched on some ways that uh, maybe how you mine soundtracks for uh, like You know, racial or whatever representation issues that matter to the filmmakers but actually don't deal with the issues of that have led me to saying that our next movie, I'm assuming, is probably pretty bad. I haven't seen it in a long time. But I'm going to go with Judgment Night.
1: (gasps) That was going to be my next one. I decided it last night. I'm so excited you said (laughs) this, Joshua. Yes!
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. This is a
2: good one. This is an excellent and dare I say, necessary to the conversation. I'm
0: so happy you chose it I'm this. so glad that you're happy because I suspect that this movie is not going to stand up very well. I suspect we're going to suffer through this movie. Who gives a and, shit?
1: We've got Sonic right. Youth in Cypress Hill.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it is not an iconic soundtrack. We're really showing our generation here. But at the time that it came out, it w- it felt important to me. Um, so, you know, let's, let's revisit it. Let's see if yes, it's good. I've been
2: dying to dive into this. I'm excited.
1: Promise. (laughs) What do you say, fight fans?
0: A night out on the town. A heavy traffic jam. Tell you something, I'm not going to miss this fight. And one wrong turn. You broke rule number one do not steal from me. Oh, boys, rule number two no witnesses. Emilio Estevez, Cuba Gooding Jr., Dennis Leary. No, Frank, after I kill you, I think I'm going to pay a little visit on that wife of yours. Ah! Judgment Night. You coming? For Heather and Matt, this is Joshua, and we'll see you next episode.